Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Prog Watch. Music that tells a story with your friend and host, Big Tony Rausick, a.k.a. Prog Squatch. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Prog Watch, my friends. Big Tony, your host here, and I'm very excited about today's program. You see, the first song that I can recall hearing on the radio is Time of the Season by the Zombies. I was probably about four years old at the time, but I can clearly remember that distinctive beat and then that smooth, ethereal voice coming over the tiny speaker of the AM radio in the house I lived in with my parents in the late 1960s. The song stuck with me ever since, as did The Voice. So later, when I discovered this band called The Zombies that featured this singer with The Voice that had left such an impression, I became a fan, collecting all of The Zombies material over the years. So a few weeks back, when I managed to set up an interview with that singer, Mr. Colin Blundstone, it was sort of like a bucket list achievement for me. Today I'm going to share some of that interview with you. For the musical agenda, I will be playing some zombies, of course, who are aces in my book. Not really progressive rock, but an original British invasion act and contemporaries of the Beatles, the Stones, the Who. Plus, some of their later stuff was leaning toward some psychedelia or proto-prog, so indulge me a little. If you didn't know, Colin also did some great work with the Alan Parsons Project in an offshoot band called Keats so we will be hearing some prog gear stuff. One thing you will not be hearing is a lot of me. I have a lot of great interview stuff and a lot of great music slotted, so I'm going to be playing double and triple shots of tunes to try to fit it all in. Let's get things rolling with three shorter numbers, which can be found on the Zombies' first album in 1965, called Begin Here in the UK and simply The Zombies in the US. Anyway, from that album... We will be hearing She's Not There, Summertime, and Tell Her No. 
She's Not There, Summertime, and Tell Her No, all from the first Zombies album back in 1965. Now let's hear Colin Blundstone talking a bit about those heady early days. Okay, so uh, you've been involved in the music industry for more than 50 years. Did you ever think that you would still be making music more than a half century after you first hit the airwaves with She's Not There? No, absolutely not. Um for me, I think in the first place, you know, way back, this is 1964, I thought it would be a wonderful adventure that would probably last between two and three years. Um, I think, uh, and I think most people thought about um, a record, uh, um, a, a, a musician's lifespan as about that, you know, recording artist's lifespan as mm-hmm. about a two or three year uh, period and um, that's just how it struck me. I had I had no idea that I would have the choice of a fifty year career. I didn't know that option was open to me, and in some ways I wish I had of because uh, I did I did treat it like an adventure, and I think possibly I could have um, taken it a bit more seriously if I'd realised there was an option of a lifetime's career. 
Okay, well, you seem to have done all right anyway. But yeah, who would have known that there would be uh, bands full of grandfathers still on the road, you know, someday? Probably even great-grandfathers, right? I know. Well, I mean, there there are some grandfathers in uh, well, there's uh, Yeah, there's some grandfathers in our band. Yep, I'm one too, so... <laughs> yeah, not, not me as yet, but no. um, maybe you know, maybe fairly soon. All right, great. It's a, it's it's a fun thing. Yeah. So, um, as part of the British invasion, you may have had some brushes with many other artists of the era. Do you have any fond recollections of meeting fellow musicians from bands like the Beatles, the Who, or any of your other contemporaries? Um, we we didn't really ever meet the Beatles. Um, we were certainly backstage at one of their shows and sort of said hello to them. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, we worked with The Who. They were absolutely fantastic. It's interesting how, I mean, it's probably easy with hindsight to say this, but the real, the bands that have lasted were really exceptional at the time. I, th- I think you could kind of tell. I mean, The, the Who were absolutely fantastic i love them so i'm a big fan energy. yeah yes so much energy and um i remember uh, playing a tv show uh, ready steady go and they used to have um a lot of the bands mimed on there but they would have one or two live bands and w- the zombies were down one end of the studio and the who were at, at the other end of the studio and I, I was just mesmerized by them i thought they were incredible really really strong um, we also, we saw the, um, as a band, we went to see the Stones play in 1963. They just made their first record, which was called Come On. Mm-hmm. And they were playing in a very small club called Studio 51, just off Leicester Square in London. Um, I, it was absolutely packed, heaving, wonderful atmosphere. And again, you know, they were, it was one of the most magical nights i've ever had they were absolutely incredible and ironically they all sat on stools there was no movement at all i i I think because they were so into the blues and rhythm of blues, a lot of the greats of the blues would would just sit there on stools and play Mm -hmm. and and that's what the stones were doing so jagger was uh was very different presented himself in a very different way to how he presents himself now but there are two bands that made a huge impression on me, uh, seeing them live. Any other favorites from that time that you uh, recall meeting? Um, well, again, I, you know, I love the Beatles. I, I saw them um, play live before we became professional musicians, and they were wonderful. Um, it, it, the only snag with the Beatles was that the audience was so loud, it was a bit difficult to hear what they were doing. Right. But um, from what I could hear, they were fantastic. Um, I, I went and saw Manfred Mann play, and um, they were very good as well, Manfred Mann. And um, Stevie Winwood uh, was fantastic. Went to see him play as well. Um, I've forgotten the name of his band. Isn't that terrible? Uh, he was in Spencer Davis group. Spencer Davis. Yeah. Went, uh, saw Spencer Davis play, that, but they were very good. Um, we toured a lot with the Searchers. Uh, we, we had the same manager as the Searchers. Mm-hmm. And also Dusty Springfield, who had the same manager as us. And you know, the Searchers were a very good band. And, and Dusty Springfield was an absolutely superb singer. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so I mean, uh, there were, there were, we we worked all the time, but we worked from sixty four to sixty seven, and we were just playing all the time. Uh, we played with Dion, we toured with Dion Warwick, who was fantastic. The Isley Brothers, again, wonderful, wonderful performers. Yeah, those were the days of the old like package tours where they'd have like yes. five or six we, bands you know, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, in the states, I think sometimes when we first came over. Uh, in New York, we played Murray the K's uh, Christmas show at the Brooklyn Fox, and there were about 15 or 16 acts on the bill. The Shirelles, wow. Shangri-Las, Dion Morick again, um, Chuck Jackson, Patti LaBelle, you know, just loads of, of wonderful artists. But everyone will play know, for about 15 minutes, right? I mean, they couldn't play too long. Oh, no, you put, it was less than that. Yeah, yeah. You would either play one or two two songs you would play yeah. your, your current hit and if you were lucky you would play one other song mm-hmm. and then it would be on to the next artist um, it's very interesting and see, for us we were, were so excited to come to America because this is our first trip to New York and actually at the time in Cashbox we had the number one national record when we arrived so it was a very exciting time to visit what is to us the home of rock and roll. This is where rock and roll began in America. And every British musician wants to come to America and play. Mm-hmm. But also, it was a little bit intimidating because here we were, <clears throat> five you know, teenage guys who had just made their first record. And uh, we were a bit apprehensive when we got to the Brooklyn Fox. But everyone was really, really friendly and very supportive and uh, we thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great. There was a lot of camaraderie because we actually opened on Christmas Day, so that meant everyone was away from their family over Christmas. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we were. We were 3,000 miles away. And that show went on for 10 days. And uh, I think we played five or six shows a day. Um, and so there was great camaraderie uh, backstage because we were, we were sharing Christmas together. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the 60s, some management woes had brought an end to the first age of the zombies. But in the meantime, time of the season was working its way up the top of the charts in North America and other places around the world. So uh, here you were with a hit record, no band. And weren't there like some unscrupulous people trying to capitalize on on the the song by touring (laughs) fake versions of the band? There were. Well, when there was no band, I, I guess it was inevitable. I think there were three at least fake zombie bands going around <laughs> and um, I don't think they were very convincing uh, and eventually it sort of petered out although there was a later band um, in the 80s I think it was and they were a, a British band and they managed to find someone called Hugh Grundy it's a <laughs> bit of a bizarre story really but he wasn't a drummer uh, Hugh Grundy was our drummer right. he was a bass player and he was about five foot six so he's probably you know four inches shorter than Hugh it's a, it's a bit crazy really and also we had had a company called the Zombies Limited um, to oversee our finances and as the band hadn't existed for some time we let that company go and the manager of this later band bought that company name so he owned the Zombies Limited but yeah. that didn't give him a right to put a band out called The Zombies. Right, and, and try it's to... a strange story because we were getting reports. I mean, I wasn't 
really checking on them, but just people were telling me that this band were playing, and I don't think they were very good from what I've heard. And uh, we did try to stop them, and I contacted the Musicians Union and one or two other organizations, and eventually they did stop. And in my naive world, I thought that perhaps I'd contributed towards stopping this band. And later on I heard that a rather disgruntled member of the audience had um, introduced himself in their dressing room with a gun wow. and threatened them and uh, just made the you know, accusation that they weren't the zombies and uh, pointed a gun at them. And I, I don't think they ever played again after that. That was it. I can't say I blame them, actually. <laughs> right. Um, I don't think I would have either. Right. But uh, So there have been some imposter bands, yeah. Yeah, I, I think there were two of the guys from ZZ Top were in one of them. I think I read that they, somewhere. I think they were, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I would say, look, we weren't working, so, um, you know, good luck to them. I, I like to see musicians work, and if, if that was, um, if that was you know, the best work at the time, then, then good luck to them. And, you know, we weren't around, so... Fine. Yeah. Let's check out a few more tunes featuring the inimitable Colin Blundstone. First, I'm playing Old and Wise, a tune he did with the Alan Parsons Project for the 1982 album Eye in the Sky. After that, we'll hear Care of Cell 44 from the Zombies' Odyssey and Oracle album in 1968, possibly the sweetest song ever written about a guy anxiously awaiting the release of his girlfriend from prison. Those I leave 
go anywhere. Prague Watch will be right back. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Before the break, we heard two songs. The first was the classic Old and Wise by the Alan Parsons Project, featuring Colin Blundstone from the Eye in the Sky album. Then it was Care of Cell 44 from the Zombies Odyssey and Oracle. Moving on, I'm going to play two more from the Zombies Odyssey and Oracle album. The one that started it all for me, Time of the Season, then into A Rose for Emily. Following those two, I'll play another great Alan Parsons Project track featuring Colin on vocals. Dancing on a High Wire from the 1984 album Ammonia Avenue. Any time, any time to show, to 
Again, that was Time of the Season and A Rose for Emily by The Zombies and Dancing on a High Wire by the Alan Parsons Project featuring Colin Blundstone. Now let's hear Colin talking about his transition into his solo career and the eventual reformation of The Zombies. So can we talk a little about how you transitioned into your solo career? I know it looked like you might quit music and get into insurance. You were, weren't you like well, a... Well, I didn't uh, think I had any choice. To be yeah. honest, when the band finished, 
um, there was no one knocking my door down to do anything. And I literally just sat at home for for a few weeks or something like that. And I thought, well, there's nothing happening. I think that's the end of my adventure. As I said in the beginning, I thought that that's what it was. It was. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to travel around the world, you know, with my pals, um, playing the music I loved. And what more could you ask for? But I did think that there was going to be a, a time limit on, on this existence. And, and that's what it looked like to me. Um, I sat at home for a few weeks, maybe a couple of months or something like that, and I, I, I just ran out of money. The three non-writers in The Zombies have left the band with no money. That's one of the reasons the band had to stop, that the non-writers, you know, we had not been managed well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very difficult to know how much you can say about this without risking being sued, you know, but yeah. um, uh, it, it, it was a very poor uh, managerial situation. Yeah, I guess a lot of young bands, yeah. A lot of young bands fell into that, right? I think, you know, I think most bands in the 60s had that problem. And you had to somehow get through that and learn from it and start another career before you were ever going to earn any money. And I'm not talking about being rich or even comfortable. I'm just talking about having any money at all. Mm -hmm. And... Rod Argent and Chris White, because they'd been prolific writers, that that income stream came from a totally different um, company. Mm-hmm. And our manager had nothing to do with that. And so Rod and Chris were comparatively comfortably off. But Hugh Grundy, Paul Atkinson and myself were, were broke. And Paul had just got married. And he, I, from memory, he was the first one who said, look, guys, I, I can't live on nothing. I've just got married. And um, so that was the main reason that the band finished. It's such a shame because looking back, we now realize that we always had a hit record somewhere. Um, we had just broken with our manager. And, you know, quite possibly if we could have held on for a bit, um, the band could have kept going. But at the time, it seemed the right thing to do. And as I said, I, I was absolutely broke i just i got on the phone to an employment agency just like it's all out of the phone book you know mm-hmm. and i just said have you got any jobs and they said well, yeah we've got a job in an office and it happened to be insurance it wasn't it wasn't sort of a career choice i just needed a job a job yeah and in the end i think it did me good because i it was a very busy big office in the center of london and it kept me busy and i didn't have time to dwell on the sadness of, of the band breaking up. Mm-hmm. And then when Time of the Season was a hit, it was nearly a year later, I wasn't absolutely sure I wanted to go back into the music business because I'd been so devastated when the band finished. But um, a producer started calling me, a producer called Mike Hurst, and he'd recorded the early Cat Stevens records. I'm not sure if they were hits in America, but they were big hits here. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew and Son, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna Get Me a Gun, and tracks like that. Yeah, um, They were big singles in the UK, and Mike Hurst produced them. And uh, he talked me into going to the studios in the evenings after I finished my, my job. And uh, then a couple of strange things happened. He suggested re-recording She's Not There, 
and changing my name. Maybe I don't really know why. Neil MacArthur, as right? I was only, yeah. I was only testing the water, so I I wasn't thinking ahead really, and I just I went along with it, and a version of She's Not There came out under the name of Neil MacArthur. This yeah. is a kind of a strange time yeah. in my life. And it was a small hit. And so in some ways, the decision was made for me. And I was sort of, I was back in the music business. Um, and then a few months later, I was coming home from a party with Chris White. Chris White was driving me home in his car. And he said, listen, why, why don't you come and record with Rod and I? And we'll forget the Neil MacArthur thing. And we started an album with Rod and Chris producing me as an artist. And it was called One Year. And from that album, there was a Denny Lane song called Say You Don't Mind was issued as a single. And in the UK, it was a big hit. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was when I think I really started back as a solo artist. And I've been working with Rod and Chris off and on for the whole 50 years, really, in one capacity or another. They both produced my second album, Chris White produced my third album, and Rod Argent produced my sixth album. I did not know and that. And then yeah. after that, there were various projects we were involved in together until 1999, and I had six concerts to do and no keyboard player. And I rang Rod, and I didn't think for a minute that he would be interested in doing it, but I, I thought, well... I don't know, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. I, I'd never know if I didn't ask him. And I was quite surprised. He said, yeah, okay, I'll do those six dates, but I don't want to do um, any more than that. And uh, so we, you know, we did the six dates, and it worked really well, and we've never looked back. And although he did only want to do the first six, six dates, here we are 19 years later. Yeah still playing so you didn't call it the zombies at first when you re reunited it no 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 there's no intention yeah. of doing that i mean i should perhaps say that i got back out on the road um with the help of um don airy who's the keyboard player in uh deep purple yeah he's also plays with ozzy osbourne and right. white snake and all sorts of yeah. heavy rock bands big blackmore yeah 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 and um don you know i'd, I'd met him a couple of times socially and he just started calling me and saying, you know, why aren't you out playing live? You should be out playing live. And I thought maybe at the time, this was in about 1997, it's before I called Rod, I thought it might be too late for me to get back out on the road. But he talked me into it. He put a band together. He said, you don't need to come to rehearsals. Just come for a run through before the first night. So that's what I did. And he put a really wonderful band together. And we played for probably about 18 months, but gradually people in this band w went off and tried fresh pro uh, projects, including Don. And that's why I ended up with no keyboard player. Mm -hmm. And that's when I rang Rod. But no, there was no intention of reforming the zombies. Absolutely not. Um, we just, we worked for years as Colin Blunston and Rod Argent. But what astounded us, it was a, it was a big surprise, but it was a very pleasant surprise we realized that there was a huge appetite for the zombies repertoire all around the world. Wherever we went, people were saying, you know, are you going to play more zombie tunes or are you going to, they would name specific tunes and we would, we were discovering or rediscovering these songs ourselves. Some of them we'd recorded and never played live, particularly mm -hmm. from Odyssey and Oracle because 
the band finished after Odyssey and Oracle, so we'd never played any of those songs live. Um, and it took us about six or seven years, but we suddenly realized we were pretty much playing a Zombies uh, concert. And so we we thought, well, maybe we should talk this through with um, the original members, uh, Hugh Grundy and, and Chris White, and it was decided that we would then adopt the name The Zombies. But that was seven or eight years after we got back together again. We really didn't want to go down that avenue. There was no intention at all of of ref- we can't reform the zombies. You know, it's 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 a whole it's a different thing, and um, it took us a long time to get used to the fact that we could be a new incarnation of the zombies. It's a it's a different band, but we are playing a lot of the old favourites, but mm-hmm. we're playing a lot of new songs as well. You know, it's it's almost fifty fifty really. Okay. Um, one of the really heartening things is that the new songs get as good a reac- reaction as the old standards, um, which is fantastic. That know? is, yeah. And I think that makes this band slightly different to any other, or nearly any other 60s band that are out there. But there are one or two that are playing new material, but the majority of 60s bands concentrate on um, the music that they played in the 60s. Yeah, and it seems even if they try to come out with something new, the audience is the, gives you a little polite round of applause. <laughs> it's like, well, now play uh, play your hit, you know, from the sixties, you know, which is kind of nasty. Uh, well, that doesn't happen with us. I mean, we're, yeah, that's we're great. Really fortunate. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. If that's how it is, that's that's fantastic. Let's listen to a few songs from Colin's early solo career now. First, the reworking of "She's Not There," which he did under the pseudonym Neil MacArthur. Then straight into Say You Don't Mind, from his 1971 solo album called One Year, which Colin told us was penned by ex-Moody Blues and wingman Denny Lane, and was a bit of a hit in the UK. Her voice was soft and cool Her eyes were clear and bright But she's not there 
Some kind of fool. What I do, what I did, stupid fish. I drank the pool. I've been doing some dying. Now I'm doing some trying. So say, don't mind, don't mind, and let me off this time. To this scene where my dreams were getting bad, and who rides with the tide, and who's glad with what it had? I've been doing some whining, now I'm doing some finding. So say, don't mind, don't mind, you let me off this time. I'm blind. Something inside say you don't mind. Some better line. I've been doing some growing, but I'm scared where you're going. So say you don't mind, you don't mind, you let me off this time. You let me off this time. 
Again, that was She's Not There by Colin Blundstone as Neil MacArthur, released in 1969, followed by Say You Don't Mind from his first proper solo album called One Year, released in 1971. Oh, yeah. Moms are amazing at tracking down hard-to-find items. Library books, socks, you name it. But sometimes help is welcomed. Care.com makes it easy to find babysitters near you. Sitters with the experience and skills your family needs, like after-school pickup and homework help. You just post a job for qualified sitters to apply. And since all Care.com caregivers are background checked, you can feel confident about interviewing and hiring. To get the child care help you need, sign up now at Care.com. You know how great your house looks and smells when it's just been cleaned? So fresh. And somehow, a clean house makes your head feel fresher, too. With a housekeeper from Care, you can reset your house and your head as often as you like for less than you think. Find a great housekeeper, set a schedule that works for you, and check cleaning off your to-do list so you can put your mind to other, more fun things. Get the housekeeping help you need at Care.com. Hi, this is Colin Blonstone from The Zombies and The Alan Parsons Project, and you're listening to Prog Watch. Before we finish up with my interview with Colin Blundstone of The Zombies, Keats, and The Alan Parsons Project, let's do a couple from what is known as The Zombies' Lost Album, sometimes called R.I.P. The band was working on an album when things fell apart in the late 1960s, and the songs have since been released as R.I.P. in 2014 and as part of a four-disc compilation called Zombie Heaven from 1997. Anyway, from this lost album, I'm going to play Imagine the Swan and If It Don't Work Out. Turn out of your way And that 
Again, that was Imagine the Swan and If It Don't Work Out from the Zombies Lost album released as R.I.P. and as part of the four-disc set Zombie Heaven, kind of an indication of where things might have been heading when the band broke up. But now let's listen to the rest of my chat with Colin Blundstone. 
I'm also a big fan of the Alan Parsons Project, with whom you did some great work. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about meeting Alan and Eric and what it was like working with those guys? Well, I, you know, they're really, really lovely people. Obviously, Eric's no longer with yes, us, but yes. they're wonderful people. And um, I first met Alan because he was an engineer at Abbey Road when we were recording Odyssey and Oracle um, with the Zombies in 1967. And we also realized that we were, we lived near one another. And we both used to go to Hampstead Village on a Saturday morning. And often we'd see one another just having a pint in the Flask, a pub in Hampstead Village. And, and Alan talked to me about the idea of um, recording an album with the producer as the central figure and introducing guest vocalists. And um, when it became a reality, he asked me to be on the first album and ironically I was living in California at the time and I couldn't do it but mm. I did the second album um, so you know I'd, I'd known Alan for some time before I recorded with him and I'd also met Eric as well in the 60s um, he'd been backstage at several several gigs so I, I knew Eric I'd, I didn't really know he was a writer to be honest I just knew him as just I just knew him socially you know but he—he he is a. Oh, I suppose I should say he was. Mm. He was an absolutely wonderful writer, Eric. Very prolific, and uh, I love his songs. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and his voice. I, I, I liked his voice. Yeah, also, he was yeah. a great singer too. Yeah, he was a very, very good singer. So, how about some of the other guys, Ian Berenson, Peter Bardens? You worked with him also, and Dave Patton. You, you uh. You joined them in Keats for a brief period of time. Can you talk oh, a little right. bit about I mean, that project? That Eric. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah, it was kind of, it was Eric's idea, really. He, he thought it would be a great idea to have a band based on the regulars uh, who played on the, on, the, on the project. And so it was um, uh, Stuart Elliott on drums, Davey Payton on bass, and Ian Benson on guitar. And uh, actually, Richard Cottle was involved in, in keyboards as well, who played mm -hmm. on a lot of the projects. But I'd been working with Peter Bardens, who obviously had huge success with Camel. Camel, yeah. And um, we were recording some singles. And um, because he asked me to sing in the band, I kind of came along with Peter Bardens, who at that point didn't have any connection to the Alan Parsons project. Everyone else did. Um, but Pete, Pete was a, a wonderful character and a very prolific writer. And he wrote most of the songs for the band that became known as Keats. Um, so that was the idea. I think originally, I'm not sure if Alan was going to be involved in the first place, but gradually, as, as, the, um, as the band came together, Alan was drawn in and actually produced that first album. Sadly, it it was just a one-album band. It's a real shame. Yeah. There was talk of a second album, but uh, in the end, it, it didn't come to fruition, and uh, and we never played live. It was it was a very interesting um, experience, but I, I I think that there was more potential there than than um, was perhaps realised. It's a shame because they're just wonderful players in that band. Mm -hmm. It would have been great to have gone out and played live. Yeah, and to uh, have had more albums. I, I like that album, yeah. 
how about uh, the 50th anniversary of Odyssey and Oracle? Um, how how did that tour go? And you know, we want to reflect on that a little. Well, of course, it it was a wonderful experience getting together with uh, the surviving original members. Sadly, Paul Atkinson died nine or ten years ago now, mm-hmm. but um, we got together with Chris and Hugh, and uh, it 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 was quite emotional, really. Um, the second half of the concert, we played Odyssey and Oracle straight through from track one to track 12. And mm-hmm. uh, it went incredibly well. We played every note. So we we used the original band and we used our own band as well. And we also used uh, Darian Sakhanaji from um, uh, the Brian Wilson band, uh, who knows Odyssey and Oracle better than we do. He's a phenomenon. <laughs> And uh, he's a wonderful keyboard player and a great harmony singer. And we we needed more more harmonies. Uh, also, Chris White's uh, wife is a great harmony singer as well, and she came along and helped out with the harmonies. Um, so we were able to to uh, faithfully um, interpret the the album note for note, and uh, it, it was incredibly successful. I mean, most of the shows were completely sold out. Um, it was an emotional thing to return to 1967. There was so many memories come back. Um, it, it was quite wonderful. And the first time yeah. you, you really played that stuff live, right? It was, Well, I tell you what, we played a couple of concerts at the 40th anniversary. Okay. Um, so that was 10 years before. Um, but then we did the 50th anniversary. I remember the first time we, we got together... Uh, Chris White and Hugh Grundy haven't really played professionally since 1967. Particularly, Hugh plays in a band. He, he lives um, off the coast of Spain, and he plays in a band there. But Chris White hadn't played at all since 1967. And I tell this as a story against myself. I just, I just think I think it's quite amusing that <laughs> I said to Rod, you know, we should all get together before we play this album live. Um, we should just get together and just see if everyone can still play because <laughs> Hugh and Chris haven't played professionally in so long so we got together and it was obvious from the beginning that Hugh and Chris had rehearsed and practiced uh, strenuously and comprehensively and were absolutely no perfect whereas Rod and I who'd been out playing continually over the last 20 years or whatever we hadn't really looked at Odyssey and Oracle at all and we were all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I thought we were going to be the ones who were sort of leading the way. Uh, it was completely the other way around. Chris and Hugh were note perfect and Rod and I were a, a bit uh, a, a bit sketchy to say the least. Yeah, a little rusty around the edges, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> That's a good story. Amusing. So then we had to roll our sleeves up and uh, get stuck in and yeah. uh, and and in the end it, you know it worked really well i i think um we have said you know that's probably it now we should probably leave it but you know you never say never and and in fact we've been invited to go to berlin and uh, a concert hall in holland in a place called zutomir um in july and we're going to play odyssey and oracle so it's it's hard if people ask you to do it you've you know, you feel it's, I mean, it's, it's really fun for us to do it. So, 
you feel you might as well, although there's no plans for us to do any more touring of Odyssey and Oracle. I think, you know, it's time to think of new songs now, really. So is that what you think you're going to do here in the near future, work on more material? I know you put out an album in 2015. That's the last original album you guys did, right? Uh, yeah, that would be it. Yeah, it was... Um, part original, part a few few remakes on there, I believe, wasn't it? I'm just, you know what, I'm trying to remember. Isn't it terrible? I, I'm, I'm in a room with absolutely no record, so I can't check. Um, I know sometimes we do do it. We might have an, a go at an old record. I can't remember what's on there, to be honest. But there's, there's lots of new songs. And it did actually just get into the top 100 in, in the Billboard charts, which was a wonderful um, surprise for us. But, uh, we, you know, we got an album in the, in the Billboard charts. It was brilliant. And I think we will be starting a new album in the next few months. Rod has actually, uh, he has a studio in his house, but he, he's just moved. And he's had to have a studio rebuilt in his house. And it's just coming together now. So I would think we will be trying that out in the next few months. But I mean, it will be a year or 18 months before an album will be finished and um, and in the shops, it'll be some time yet because, to my knowledge, nothing's been written yet. So, um, it's it'll it'll some way off in the future. But there there will be a new album. Yeah, still got that hunger. I'm I'm sitting in front of a computer, so I I, I checked it real quick myself because I, I obviously I'm not in a room with my records either. But yeah, I'm still really got that hunger. My mind just went blank. Yeah. But yeah, of course, it's still got that hunger. And then there was two, I guess, two tracks on there that were remakes of earlier songs. I Want You Back Again was a single in 65. Oh, right. And uh, now... And what's the other one? Now I Know I'll Never Get Over You. Ah, uh, right. Well, it wasn't the, the, that one. Um, that was I one of your songs. On a solo album, yeah. Right. But I did record, I recorded it with a string quintet. It's absolutely, totally different. Um, and... We just got the idea it would be it would be nice to play that with the band, and of course uh, I want you back again. It's a strange story because we'd kind of pretty much forgotten about that song, and Tom Petty uh, recorded a great live version of that song, which we were just knocked out with, and it encouraged us to have a fresh look at that track. and And I sometimes introduce that song, and I say so. This is a Zombies cover of a Tom Petty cover of a Zombies original. <laughs> and it's cool because yeah. we took some of the Tom Petty version and obviously they took some of our version. And um, we, st- we play that live still. So I hope you enjoyed listening in on my chat with Colin Blundstone. It's not every day that you get to talk to an original British invasion artist and one who went on to build a career that spans six decades Thanks to Colin for talking to me, and to Melanie and Sasha, his PR people who helped set it up. I'm going to finish the musical part of the program with three more songs, one by each of Colin's main bands. First, I'll play Heaven Knows from the first and only self-titled Keats album in 1984. I'll follow that with I Want You Back Again, the song that the Zombies reworked for their 2015 album Still Got That Hunger after hearing a nice cover version by the late, great Tom Petty. Finally, I'll end things with Somebody Out There from the 1984 Alan Parsons Project album called Vulture Culture. Until next time, be good to each other and prog on, my brothers and sisters. Take us out, Colin. 
I've got to eat Somebody help me Stand on my feet I want you back again Oh I want you back again have left me I'm all alone I need your help I can stand on my own I want you back again oh, I want you back again
great your house looks and smells when it's just been cleaned so fresh and somehow a clean house makes your head feel fresher too with a housekeeper from care you can reset your house and your head as often as you like for less than you think find a great housekeeper set a schedule that works for you and check cleaning off your to-do list so you can put your mind to other more fun things get the housekeeping help you need at care.com Moms are amazing at tracking down hard-to-find items. Library books, socks, you name it. But sometimes help is welcomed. Care.com makes it easy to find babysitters near you. Sitters with the experience and skills your family needs, like after-school pickup and homework help. 
You just post a job for qualified sitters to apply. And since all Care.com caregivers are background checked, you can feel confident about interviewing and hiring. To get the child care help you need, sign up now at Care.com.